We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lonsford, skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. Hey, what's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me as he does every week, he is ready to rock his hair like newly added coach Rick Carlisle. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one only Michael. Jerome Fachi Fachi. What's up, brother? Ooh, I don't know if I can pull off the ball look like Carlisle. I can say one thing, though. He pulls it off better than Bjorkren. Nah, that's just me being a Bjorkren hater. But, uh... Hey, it was nice to see Rick out there and, and learn a little bit more about what excited him about the Pacers job. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting press conference. I, I think there's a few things we learned and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through them today. Yeah. So I think first things first, it, it kind of started off with Kevin Pritchard opening things up, talking about how it was, you know, they were looking for a coach that had experience and championship experience. And when Rick became available, that's when mutual sides agreed and, to me, Foch, it just kind of seems like they might have known prior to the playoffs ending and what was going on that there might be a possibility Rick steps down. It, it, I mean, who else out there really had championship experience as a head coach? Oh, absolutely no one. There, there's no one out there that, that it comes to mind that is a championship head coach that is available. Um, it, it's also they, they made it known that, and even Rick said it, there was mutual interest from the very beginning. Yeah. And, and they moved quickly. So, yeah, I do think there's probably some things floated out that, hey, if, if Bjorkren's going to be out of there, Carlisle probably had his eye on that job. And uh, when he, things became official, he did step down. And, you know, we knew that Dallas wasn't going to ask anything from Indiana in terms of compensation. I think this thing moved very quickly. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, too, that Pritchard mentioned that there was other job openings available and they wanted to jump right on this right away as soon as possible because they didn't want to you know, allow for Carlisle to be swept up by another team. So that is a good sign. And I know, I think Scott Agnes asked him how it went about, you know, paying for uh, Rick Carlisle and why they spent the money. And he really didn't get too in detail about that. But I just think that ultimately uh, this team was willing to spend. They're willing to win right now. They don't want to play games. And so with that being said, Foch, 
the thing that hit me the most was clearly the praise that he had for this core five being the five that he wants to build around basically. And that, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can look at this, but what he basically said is he kept comparing this team to his former Detroit teams mm-hmm. that were basically not built on one star, but built on a collective team. They're all pretty much in their prime. He said he liked that. Carlisle said he liked that energy that he got from the players and their mindset and their perspective on how they can go about being successful with this team. But I just, you know, a lot of people are anti-running it back, but it felt today like Carlisle is very much okay with running it back. Oh, yeah. That was the number one takeaway was that they want this team healthy. They kept preaching, how can we get these players healthy? You know, talking about working with the medical staff, maybe limiting some guys' minutes, uh, having them kind of all all maybe spread out and sacrifice a little bit and contribute. But basically, the main takeaway sounded like the two bigs in Domas and Miles Turner, they're not going anywhere. Look, maybe Rick has some ultimate poker face going on right now, but that was the main takeaway that he said that they could stagger their minutes where they're playing together a little bit, but they don't have to play together that much. And it seemed like, hey, maybe they both start and they play a little bit together and then they start to shift it around. Or maybe, you know, Maybe Miles Turner moves to the bench. I don't know if I really see that happening yet, but it definitely sounded like there was no hint of, hey, we're going to be making some serious changes at the center position. I mean, they really did praise that this team's at the perfect age and they want to win now. Yeah, so uh, just to piggyback off that conversation, there was three things that really stuck out to me in terms of kind of running it back with this same core, specifically the big guys. I think number one, the thing that we've heard, multiple times is they like playing with one another. They've talked about it. Yep. And Carlisle said he spoke with both individually. And he said, I understand Sabonis has been the face of the franchise for the last couple of years, being that all-star level player. But I think that we need to win as a group. And he said that when he talked with Domas, basically Sabonis was all about winning and willing to do the, you know, he said he was willing to make the sacrifices for whatever needs to get the job done in in terms of winning. So I don't really think that Sabonis is a selfish player. I don't think Miles is a selfish guy. I think they're both guys that probably do like playing with each other. They're good friends, whatever. But I just think the double big is not what we want in today's modern NBA. So there's a good point there. I think number two, not only did he specify that he thinks they can play together, he specified ways they can utilize both of them. Um, in different aspects. He didn't really talk too much about the defense, but offensively, he talked about Miles Turner being more of a lob threat, you know, you know, utilizing him a lot differently. So I think that was number two for me. And number three, Foch, the big one, he compared this team to the 90s Indiana Pacers. And when he said, everybody thought they should break it up, but they brought Larry Bird in, they changed coaching staffs, they traded for Chris Mullen or they signed Chris Mullen, however they got him. I forget. It's been so long, you know, but they got Chris Mullen, put him into that starting lineup. He said they didn't make that many wholesale changes, but they kept that same core together that had been there for multiple years. And that was, you know, a team that really flipped a script because I think if we look back at, you know, before Bird took over, they missed the playoffs, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the year before that, they got beaten the first round by the Hawks. I mean, they had had some runs against the Knicks, and they started struggling again. And then Bird came in, and they went to the three Eastern Conference Finals back to back to back. So I think Carlisle believes that, hey, we've got a good core here. Maybe we shouldn't break it up so quick. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, as it relates to the first part of the comment, it definitely seemed like 
Carlos sprinkled in some things when he was saying, you know, we need to be more balanced. And like when you mentioned about Domas being the best player, but also having to maybe sacrifice a little bit. I think that's great because we've talked about this team on paper. They have a really good starting five. They do. It's a very balanced effort of it feels like anyone can give you, I'd say, 15 points. I feel like on any night, you know, that there's guys that it feels like closer that they can give you 20 a night between Brogdon, Sabonis, bonus and TJ Warren and, and Karis LeVert, you know, so there is a balanced scoring effort that could be had here, but it is going to be about guys being able to sacrifice a little bit. I mean, it's, it might not be like last year where everyone's having career highs, but I, I did like when he did make that comparison of the Detroit, uh, Detroit team, they were a piece away when they added Rasheed Wallace after Rick Carl left and then they became a championship team. So it just feels like, Hey, there's going to be some tinkering that's going to need to go on here. But one thing that I loved he mentioned that he spoke to the players, all of them, if not multiple times already. And look, I, I know it's been a week. I, I think that's a great sign to see, just that he's already communicating with these players. And uh, it sounds like he goes back with Sabonis literally since the day he was born. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it, you got to feel like Sabonis respects Carlisle off the bat, and they probably have, even if it's a small relationship, some type of relationship that goes back to when Domas was a kid. And I just feel like those are the people that you respect and, and want to play a little bit extra for. So I thought that was a cool little tidbit, Carl. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool that uh, Tony East asked that question. Tony East is going to be on this podcast next Great week. Great question by Tony. Yeah, when uh, when Fachi is off next week, I'm going to have some other guests come on, and Tony is going to be one of them. So be looking forward to that next Thursday, I believe it is. So, but yeah, Tony Tony asked that question basically just about Portland and his coaching time there and, like, what, you know, similarities to saw between Arvidas and Demontis. And, you know, it's funny that Rick Carlisle said that Arvidas actually showed him <laughs> the video. Yeah of Domas's birth. So it's like, okay, it's kind of kind of a little bit too much. And I think Carlos yep. said that was TMI. So it's kind of hilarious to think about. But now that's weird. I don't think I can ever remember a coach, you know, being both the head coach of a son and a father. I mean, I, I mean I'm sure it's happened several other times. I can think of like George Thompson in college with Patrick yeah. Ewing, Patrick Ewing Jr. But this is the NBA. So yeah, you know, it's a little different. I mean yeah. Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr. maybe because um, I think Tim Hardaway at the end of his career played for quite a few coaches, but I don't know if they had any overlap there. But still, it just is a unique situation, kind of cool. Yes. And yes, that was that was a really fun comment to kind of wrap things up there. I mean, it felt like Carlisle was on that press conference for a good hour. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say so. One so, thing I yeah, go ahead, go ahead. One Fox. thing I got to point out, he had a lot of praise for Miles Turner. I mean, we knew that he liked him a couple years ago. There's some comments, but he, you know, he really emphasized, hey, we have. One of the premier, maybe the best rim protector in the game. So, <laughs> did you did you catch that though? What he said, I, I thought it was funny, not because I'm being snarky, but he was like, "We've got the best rim protector in the league," and then he like backtracked and said, "Well, statistically, yes, yeah, exactly. I did, I did hear that." <laughs> the other thing I gotta say is, two different times he said he complimented Domas's three point shooting, and I was, yep. like, "What? What has he been watching? Like, is he just reading like some some numbers off of a page?" I was like, "This guy oh, is not." a three-point shooter like that so I thought that was a little funny yeah he did say later that it was more about efficiency yes from there and then talked about spreading guys out even further than the three-point line like steps back from the three-point line to uh, to allow offense but he kept talking about 
how he would do things offensively. And then he kept coming back to, we got to get better defensively, but he didn't really strategically say how they could be a better defensive team. So it's kind of like uh, what I, I mean, he mentioned Turner being a, a great shot blocker and elite. He did. He did call him an elite rim protector in today's NBA, which I think all of us are very aware of that. Even if we're yep. the no camp of, in the camp of Trey Turner, I think everybody can sit there and say, yeah, this guy is an elite rim protector. And he said this, that they need this. So, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here in, into our conversation about the double bigs. To me, if he's talking about staggering these guys and not playing them a ton of minutes, and he talked about, you know, playing the like playing certain guys in shorter, you know, stints, like six minutes, sit out three, come back in for six, sit out another three, play the final six. You know, you play 18 of the 24 minutes in the first half, whatever, something similar to that. It just feels like Goga gets lost in all of this conversation. Without and a doubt. If you go back and listen to what. Kevin Pritchard said to Bob Kravitz in the middle of the season, he said that the ceiling is really high for Goga, and we feel really confident and believe in Goga as that player. But to me, if you're going to continue to run this two-center lineup and you're going to stagger their minutes, that means Goga is more than likely going to be out of the rotation. And to me, that stunts his growth and development. And at that point, if I'm Goga and his agent, I'm saying, give me the heck out of here because I don't want to be around for this. No offense, but I want to go somewhere where I can actually get a chance to be in the rotation even if I maybe not have earned it, I, I feel like, you know, time is ticking for this guy because he's going to be a free agent here in a couple of years if the Pacers don't, you know, they, I think they already picked up his option. But after four years, he's got, he becomes a restricted free agent. And if nobody picks him yeah. up, I mean, I wouldn't want to pick him up if I haven't seen enough of a sample size of him, let alone pay him that much. No, I mean, he has not lived up to his potential, but that's not against him. It's he hasn't had much of an opportunity. You know, it's like this is supposed to be the year for Gogo's opportunity. Even if you trimmed a couple minutes off Sabonis's 35 minutes per game and say maybe you gave him a miles or whatever, bump miles up from 30 to 32, where's the minutes coming for Goga? It's just I just don't understand how they can make that work there. And it just still makes you wonder, like, why did the Pacers feel the need to draft a center in the first round three years ago when, you know, you're still not, you know, making any changes to that situation. It, it just, I understand staggering the minutes, but yes, it's a great point for Goga right there is where does that leave him at all? And Alex, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I am, but I really didn't hear Malcolm Brogdon's name really brought up at all. Uh, just something small, not sure if it means anything, but it just, I really didn't. Maybe there was just no Brogdon questions, but there really wasn't, you know, he wasn't really involved in any of this press conference. Well, I don't feel like any of the guys are really involved besides the Turbonus duo. Yeah. Because that's what everybody asked about. And he raved about TJ McConnell. So, he, he did rave about him. I yeah, mean, he, what do you think about him saying, hey, uh, we want to we resign uh, McDermott and McConnell? That was something that he said is a priority. He did, but he said he, when he talked about talking to both TJs, he didn't say Doug in there when he talked about talking to the players. I don't think maybe I misheard him, but I know he specified TJ with that starting five. After the starting five, he mentioned McConnell first, and he also talked about McConnell being that type of player that every coach loves to coach. So to me, it's like, okay, well, everything I said last podcast on our mailbag pod, well, just forget what I said because <laughs> if they keep McConnell, there's no way you're getting Aaron Hall to, to play minutes over him. So. I just, you know, I mean, and that might not, that might have been the case regardless, but still, I just, it, it, to me, it felt like, in a sense, that he he really is high on TJ McConnell, and I understand why. I mean, this is a guy that is 110 miles an hour all the time until he literally cannot catch his breath. So, 
I, I, I'm not against McConnell. Don't, don't get me wrong here. I just feel like in terms of potential, I think there are people that are better than him. But he kind of gives me that J.J. Barea feel and what Rick Gardner had true. in Dallas. And so I feel like he could be that, even though Barea was undersized. He was kind of that leader out there, and I think McConnell can be that. So that was interesting to me. But, yeah, I, you mentioned the Brogdon thing. That's a good point. But I didn't hear him say much about Warren or Levert either. I didn't. I, I know he he mentioned a couple guys, and, and maybe I, I missed when he mentioned Brogdon, but I heard him say like real quickly like a TJ Warren, Karis Levert when he named a couple guys. Maybe he said Brogdon, and I missed it, but I know yeah. for a fact his name did not come up after that. So either did Levert, but it just it feels like there's more of a, hey, the Pacers aren't going to move Karis Levert. Brogdon, I felt like we didn't really hear him much in you know Pritchard's original press conference. Uh, about a month ago. So it, yeah. it's just, it's a little bit of a common theme, something to look at, you know, just, just keep an eye on. Yeah. Overall with this press conference, like a lot of people have said, Oh, this is just coach speak. This is GM speak. They're not saying anything. So look, if you're going that route for coach speak, Rick Carlisle, give him an A plus because he just absolutely sold miles Turner um, as a great player. I mean, <laughs> he did everything he could to beat the drum for Turner. So a lot of fans might come back and say, well, that means they're keeping Turner for sure. And other fans might come back and say, well, he's trying to get that trade value up. Here's, here's what I found interesting. Carlisle said that – he said, Pritchard spoke with me, told me that they have calls on their guys and a lot of people are interested in their guys. He said, but I like our core. So that leaves a little bit of a window there, to me anyway, that, hey, they they do love our guys and if the right deal is there, they make it. But – at the end of the day, I don't think they feel pressured to make a move like a lot of fans want them to be. No, and that's very true. And I, I don't want them to succumb to the pressure, but I want them to exhaust every option to make this team better. Because they talked about, Carlo talked about getting this team back in the playoffs and trying to win there. It's like, I know he didn't, you know, blow smoke at us and basically say, we're going to win a championship. But, you know, I want to hear a little bit more of a higher goal instead of just getting back to the playoffs and making some noise. You know, I want to hear about a, my job is to make this team a championship-level team. I want to hear a little bit of that. And, yeah, it wasn't all about the rah-rah today, but I feel like Carlisle was – he was a straight shooter, you know, basically saying, hey, we got something good here, but we're going to have to stay healthy. And I want to try and work with what we have. He really talked about, I enjoy the challenge of working with the roster that I'm given. So, And one big takeaway that I really liked was that he talked about how Pritchard and Carlisle have been in sync about everything. They can agree to disagree, but they're going to be in sync whether it comes to signing players, drafting players, or trading players. So we got our answer that Carlisle will be consulted in those decisions. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, it, it still feels like with Carlisle, he said he likes the challenge of coaching the players that he has given on his roster and seeing what he can do. So I, I think that there's – I think there's something there. And ultimately, when it comes to what I think happens, like I've I've felt for a while they were going to make more significant changes to this team aside from the head coach. I think we both have kind of felt that just because it feels like there needs to be a massive shakeup, or not a massive, but at least a, a tweak to the starting lineup. It doesn't feel like they should be able to run the same five back despite playing zero games together. I know that it sounds weird, but just like the double big is what the main thing is. To me, it feels like they're going to maybe try this under Carlisle, see what it looks like for at least the beginning of the season, 
And if things really don't start to work out well by trade deadline, I think one of the center's names could be hot come trade deadline time. But yeah, I just, to me, it does not make sense to continue to run this back because we know that the league is, is evolving into a one center lineup. So if they want to stagger their minutes and maybe only play them like eight minutes a game together or whatever, then I'm fine with that. But ultimately I would love to see how Carlisle plans on using Sabonis defensively, because if you're going to make him try to guard the Kawhi Leonard's, those kind of guys that are those small ball fours that can just punish guys like Sabonis out on the perimeter, I just don't see the recipe for success. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to need to be some some tinkering going on there because, uh, you know, Sabonis, we know, was one of the league leaders in miles traveled last year, you know, defensively, and that's that's just not going to be effective. It's going to tire him out completely when you're asking him to also get 20 on the other end. So uh, I think that that's something I'm going to be interested to uh, learn a bit more about. But Carlo also talked about being able to, you know, get the most out of his players and, and be able to adapt a system to them, which I think is great, rather than have a system and just kind of throw the players in there if they don't fit, kind of similar to what we went through last year. So I thought that was something encouraging. And also we got another answer that Rick basically said he doesn't have any interest in being a front office guy at this, at this stage in his career. He views himself as a coach. And I feel like that's basically saying like, Hey, look, I'm not interested in that. Maybe when my contract's up we'll revisit, but right now I want to be a coach of this team. So I I think that that, that laid all that, you know, not, I don't want to say rumors, but laid that talk to rest. Yeah. I, I definitely think that he did that. And Quite frankly, I'm just I'm trying to figure out what Kevin Pritchard and them have in mind with this roster going forward if they aren't able to bring back guys like McConnell and McDermott, and do they feel like they have enough with the other guys on the roster with Holiday, Lamb, um, O'Shea Brissett, Goga? Like, what what is the plan of this team? We didn't really get to hear too much on that, but I do think that the Pacers believe Rick Carlisle can elevate this team. And I was interested to hear that they are already in the process of finalizing their coaching staff. They've already got a couple guys mentioned. There was a, I think Michael Scotto from Hoops Hype had listed a name, Ronald Norad. He's a former yep. Butler guy as a yep. potential guy that could be on the Pacers coaching staff. So I'm, a, I'm number one, intrigued to see who's on it. And number two, how big this coaching staff is and how much they're going to be paying them because Rick Carlisle knows a lot of people because he's the head of the coaches association. And that, that to me speaks volumes and uh, what kind of guys I get in here. 
Pacer fans, get excited because this is a man with connections. I mean, Rick is very respected, been in the league for a long time. But Ronald uh, Norand, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he was, he's been assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets last three years. Uh, recently interviewed for the Washington Wizards head coaching job, which I think was, you know, kind of uh, nice to at least get some like exposure, but don't see him as a serious candidate there. I think he'd be perfect as an assistant coach for the Pacers. He's born and raised in Indiana, a guy that, you know, you mentioned was on Butler, two-time defensive player of the year in the Horizon League then. So you got to imagine he's got a defensive mindset over there and just seems like one of the younger assistant head coaches. But he's also been the head coach of the Long Island Nets of the G League, an assistant coach for the Red Claws, uh, you know, for the Boston Celtics organization. He's been around a little bit enough where it feels like, okay, hey, this would be a nice like step forward for him. Like I mentioned, three years with the Hornets over there. So it feels like, hey, that'd be a good qualified guy to add. I'm very curious to see who else the Pacers look at. Uh, Rick mentioned um, basically wanting, you know, good communicators that have high energy on the staff. And they mentioned that that is the priority right now to fill that coaching staff. Ronald uh, is really the only name that we heard so far. So I feel like we're going to start to hear a little bit more names coming out uh, recently, uh, in the next maybe week or two. So that I'm really excited for. Yeah, and a guy that I brought up on our last mailbag podcast, David Fisdale, as oh, a potential assistant. Well, he he just actually got picked up by the Lakers. I don't know if you saw that today or not. But really, great relationship with LeBron. I know he's yeah. had that dating so, back to Miami. So I believe that with the you know the hiring of Jason Kidd in Dallas, that did open up a spot on that Lakers coaching staff. And I think David Fisdale makes a lot of sense there because, of, like you said, his relationship with LeBron. So, was there anything else that you really caught from this conversation? There was something that caught my attention, but I'm having a. I'm as we were talking, I lost it, and so I'm trying to think of what it was. But is there anything else that you thought of uh, that really crossed your mind from this conversation? Yeah, I, I've said it on this show before. You've said it too. This team had no identity last yeah, year. Yeah, middle of the pack everywhere. You couldn't put your finger on what this Pacers team represents, and Rick. Flat out said, we need to establish an identity again. It starts with the head coach, starts with the president. You got to be able to kind of, you know, resemble the, the community and everything that, that that goes into the what being the Pacers is all about again. I mean, they really need to establish something there. Last year, it was evident there was really nothing going on. They couldn't hang their hat on anything. So I think that's important to finally get back to that. Gotcha. Yeah, no, and I completely agree with that, Fachi. And I'm glad I just thought of what I was going to say. So, Remember when everybody freaked out about Carlisle saying there's no post play anymore yep. or it's, they're getting away from that. But did you kind of hear him backtrack that when talking about Sabonis? I did. He came out and basically said, well, Sabonis is one of the better back-to-the-back players in this league, so we're going to utilize that. But, you know, we got to pick our spots out. He said there's still some players that are really good at backing players down. He mentioned some guards that are good at it. So I, I was curious. I think he mentioned LeBron was good at it and Anthony Luca. Davis, Luca. Those are three names that he mentioned that are really good at, you know, playing with their back to the basket. He just said that it's not something you usually do to run your offense through consistently. But he also mentioned that's a bonus in terms of he's talked about him hitting threes, but also being able to play on the perimeter. So I think people that are like, oh, he said Sabonis, you know, can't play in the post. That means we're getting rid of him. I don't, I don't think that that really was what he was saying. I think people would just like to overanalyze every every single word that everybody says because, you know, it is what, it's what we do. We, we hear things, we take quotes, and, you know, it, what, what might have been said then in 2019 about the post play 
might be different for who he's coaching now. I mean, everything changes based on who's your, who's on your roster. And I, I think if there's a mismatch, then yeah, you play through the post and with Sabonis. I mean, it's just, it's part of the game, you know, and I like the diversity to be honest with you. I get kind of bored just seeing guys chuck up threes or drive to the basket. I like seeing different styles of play. Um, and that's one thing I really want to, I really want to see this team do is allow guys like Karras and, and TJ that have that great mid range game to be able to play to their strengths. But at the same time, you know, Carlisle is a very analytical mind. Ron Artest talked about how analytically minded he was back in 04, 05. So I think that this is something the Pacer fans can be excited about, knowing they've got an analytical mind, but also a guy that plays to the strengths of his of his players on his roster. So all in all, Foch, I, I don't know what else to really say about this press conference, but it, it was good to see Rick out there talking, and it makes you feel much more confident in the upcoming season that at least we have a competent coach that has a bit of a, of a history so you know what to expect. Oh, 100%. I mean, the fact that Rick talked about, like, hey, there's unfinished business here. Like, unless you win a championship, there's unfinished business. And he talked about just how dearly he holds Indiana and how great it is to be back. But my last takeaway, which I really, really liked, was he talked about role identification being huge. Yeah, yeah. Acceptance being bigger. And that's the thing that if this Pacers team is going to take the next step, they have to have defined roles. They really do because if everyone's just kind of trying to go out and get a career high, it's not going to translate to winning. It's going to translate to scoring 130 and giving up 140. So I think that if, if guys can accept roles, this team can take the next step, you know, be more efficient. So I'm looking forward to that. And when you mentioned playing to your strengths, TJ Warren is a really good mid, mid-range shooter, that, and I don't want to take that away from him at all in, in any system. Like, you need to be able to play towards that strength. So, hey, it's great that we're not going to just be like, nope, this is the way we're going to do it. Boom, that's how it's going to be. Because, hey, that's one thing that he has going for him. Those that can hit the mid-range jumper consistently tend to be pretty successful in this league. I know they label it as a terrible shot, but, hey, TJ Warren's made a living off of it. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a terrible shot, Foch, but just um, not a highly recommended shot. Yes, so, exactly. So there's, you know, I, I think that it's good at times because, look, if I'm a team and I'm giving up wide open twos to guys that are comfortably hitting them, well, that gets them in a rhythm. Like if I can get TJ Warren in a rhythm by having him knock three shots down in a row in the mid range, then he might have more confidence to pull it from three. And if he starts knocking those down, they start guarding him out there, then he's able to drive and get past him, hit those floaters that he's so good at. So I really miss watching TJ Warren play basketball. I do. This last I year. really do. I yeah. really do. It's been too long and people are quick to forget. I mean, we've seen a couple tweets going like, is TJ Warren really that good though? This is like, Come on, guys. It's like you, one of the last memories of him. It, it, I know it's not the last, but like 53 in the bubble. I mean, bubble Warren. I mean, this was a guy who would have probably had a career year this year. I mean, he was really in his rhythm. The Pacers leading score from two seasons ago. So this was the exact quote from Rick Carl when he mentioned about coming back to, to Indiana. He said he's so excited to be back in the great state of Indiana where basketball is king and we need <laughs> to take our spot back. And I just feel like, hey, it starts with bringing in Rick and, and he'll surround us with the right people. And I, I that, that coaching staff, man, I'm sitting here at the edge of my seat just wondering, give me some names. Yeah, I, I'm just curious to see who's on it. I'm, I'm curious to see how big it is. But we know July 5th, Rick Carlisle will be in town Monday. He already said that he's in, I believe, South Carolina right now or North yeah, Carolina. Yep. I can't South remember. South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay, so he's in South Carolina. 
you know, in his in his house that they have there that they go to to get away for the summer and the off season. So good for the Carlisle family to get away and get some time off. I know it's been a long time in Dallas, 13 years, and obviously change is always fun, especially when you come back to a place that feels like home in Indiana. So they're going to be coming back, he said, July 5th. He'll be here to sign his contract officially. Uh, and then they're going to start getting all these draft workouts. And Fachi, we've already had one draft workout today highlighted by Trey Mann from Florida. There was five other guys that joined him. Eugene Omarui from Oregon, Joshua Prima from Alabama, DJ Stewart from Duke, JT Thor from Auburn, and then Marcus Zagorowski from Creighton. I hope I pronounced it right. I'm sorry if I didn't. So Trey Mann is obviously the highlight of that. And then tomorrow the Pacers have another draft workout Highlighted by Jaden Springer from Tennessee and B.J. Boston Jr. from Kentucky. Uh, Boston Jr. is someone that's really slid down the board. Um, coming into the season, he was like a top 10, top 15 guy, and now he's borderline first round. So I'll be interested to see if they uh, look at maybe trying to acquire him in the second round or late first round, maybe trade back. I don't know. But Moses Wright's on there, Austin Reeves, uh, E.J. Onu, and Matt Coleman the third from Texas. So, I'm excited to see all these draft workouts, and I'm, I'm excited to see who they bring in. I really am. I mean, obviously, Jaden Springer coming up. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to, to see and, you know, learn how that went. Trey Mann is someone who I've gotten very excited about. I mean, just a really good shooter. Um, so Trey Mann could be someone, you know, I don't know if I see him creeping up to 13, but you never know what the Pacers are going to, you know, have going on or who could rise until then. So Springer and Trey Mann, definitely the biggest names out of those groups. But, yeah, like you mentioned, Pacers have two second-round picks. And, I mean, they have future second-round picks. Maybe they, you know, could work to package something and move up in the second round. And at that point, hey, you know, Cassius Stanley is a guy who I'm excited to see take another step forward. We weren't expecting much out of him this past season. It could be similar with the second-round pick, just someone to kind of stash in the G League and and build up slowly. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I'm excited uh, to see what other guys they bring in because, look, this is – a really intriguing pick, and I don't know if you saw my tweet last night where I shared what ESPN's latest mock draft had, but they had Corey Kispert, of course, at 13 coming to the Pacers, and Moses Moody slid all the way down to 18. Oh, I saw, I did see that tweet. That was that was rough to see. I cannot pass on Moses Moody at, at 13. Cannot do it, Alex. I'm telling you, I got a gut feeling about this man. He's gonna be good. Yeah, I mean, and I think if Gideon Wagner go above. The Pacers at 10 and 11, it really does make a lot of sense for the Pacers to not have to worry about, you know, or as a fan, not have to worry about the Pacers taking one of those guys. Uh, but a Kispert is just a safe pick, man. But it, like I said, it feels like a Tyler Hansborough pick. It really does. Yep. And all the guys that I'm really, like, intrigued by went in that top 7 to 13 there. Davion Mitchell, James Booknight, Keon Johnson, Jalen Johnson, all those guys went above Moses Moody in uh, Gavoni's NBA mock drafts and I, I I love all the mock draft coverage that we get from people but I just feel like Gavoni and Mike Schmitz at uh, Draft Express which was picked up by ESPN I just feel like they're a little bit more in the know on the inside sources oh yeah and, and guys you could pick up a different mock draft anywhere and it could tell you totally different things I mean there's some guys that, that are ranging you know 10 or 15 picks so a guy like James Booknight, I feel like he's soaring up the boards right now. I mean, I, I saw maybe about two weeks ago, I feel like he could have been had 13, 15. I'm seeing him going sometimes as high as eight, 
sometimes around 10 now. Uh, so that's a guy, you know, we covered recently that I don't know if he's going to be there anymore at 13. Moses Moody, I'm worried about. Jalen Johnson, someone that, you know, we did an episode on him, and I didn't see him really going as high as top 10 to that. It, it seems that he that man seems to be showing up in every lottery pick. I mean, every lotto area right now yeah, in mock yeah. draft. So guys are guys are rising. We're seeing it every day. It's the fun part about the combine, the draft processes. You're seeing guys shoot up the board. So, you know, Kispert, like you mentioned, seems like too safe of a pick. I feel like the Pacers at 13, you want to roll the dice for someone with a little bit more upside. But, hey, if a guy can play, he can play. Yeah, so real quick before we wrap this up, I know – this isn't going to be a super lengthy episode, but looking at the contracts on this roster for our starting five, Sabonis has three years. Turner, Braga, Levert, they have two years, and Warren is a free agent after this year. Um, to, to me, it feels like you give this team at maximum two more years Yep. to see what they can possibly be, and that's two full seasons with this same starting five. Um, I don't know if fans would be excited about that, but that's kind of the direction they go. I feel like they might go. And, and honestly, if it doesn't work out, and I hate to say this, but I feel like if Turner continues to feel like he's underutilized, I think it would be a very strong possibility he does not re-sign with Indiana because he wants to be the, the, the solo center on a team. And, I wouldn't blame him. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't blame him either. I mean, I could see why they might want to extend him because he's been so good for the community and the franchise, and he likes being a pacer, but – as a guy that constantly gets overlooked for defensive honors and awards and a guy that, you know, whether it's his fault or not, I mean, playing behind Sabonis, so to say, in terms of touches, I, I think that there's more opportunities for him. And, I mean, he clearly seems like he wants to be here. So, right now, I'm not worried about that. But going forward, I'm going to monitor that because it's got to be frustrating as a player that believes in his – you know, if I'm a guy like Turner, I would believe in myself much more than the franchise has shown to believe in me. Yeah, I mean, Miles Turner has been a class act. That man's name has been dragged through the mud. It's been in every trade rumor out there. He's taken so much criticism at times, and I feel like all he's done is be able to uh, kind of cope with it in ways of getting, you know, more more confident and working harder to his game. But he, this is a guy that probably does think – if I was in a bigger market, I would get more consideration. I would be a starting center. You know, I would probably be on an all-defensive team. I mean, it sounds rough. Injuries, I think, made a big difference. He lost out on a million-dollar signing bonus by not being on an all-defensive team. It's a lot of money, you know? So yeah. it, it just it just feels like, hey, if, if they're going to, you know, keep going with maybe if he's reduced to a bench role or always going to be living in Sabonis' shadow – Alex, it's very true. At that point, he'll have been with the Pacers for, you know, like eight years. And it's, it's you know, if you're not going to be the guy or they're not going to let you shine and be the guy, then, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him on, you know, cashing in somewhere else. I hope it doesn't come down to that. But at the end of the day, he, he does need to do what's best for him. And the Pacers' situation at center, it just feels like it, it's been flooded. Yeah, so that, that's really where I feel like if things don't go as planned, even with Carlisle at the helm, with this group of guys fully healthy, that's where I think they could make moves by the trade deadline because if you only got one more year left on like three of your guys, you got to figure it out before their contracts run up. And so that's what I'm looking at, Foch. I, I still think there's a possibility. I'm not closing the door on them making a move in the offseason via trade. I think we should still discuss that because anything is possible. You know, I don't think any player is incredibly safe, but I don't think any player should be incredibly expendable either uh, just to get rid of them, if that makes sense. So 
I'm going to monitor that as we head forward into this upcoming draft. But, Facha, we are less than 30 days away from the NBA draft. I am getting super excited. We're pretty much four weeks out. Oh, yeah. Things are heating up. We're starting to really see some some great draft workouts. You know, like I mentioned before, some guys moving up the board. I mean, you know, there, there could easily be some trades happening somewhat soon that – get things even more exciting. Uh, I, I just feel like it's a great time of the year with the draft, free agency starting up. I mean, it feels like the NBA has done a great job of really stretching across the full calendar year dating back to last summer. You know, it just feels like yeah. there's never really been a dull moment. Um, so and the playoffs are still going on. I mean, we're, we're in the conference finals right now. I wish everybody could stay healthy. Giannis dodged a bullet with a, they said no structural damage, but it just, it's, it's an exciting time. Everywhere you look, there's news dropping. And, and that's, that's why I love the NBA. I mean, you can never rest on it. Absolutely. Foch. All right. So that wraps it up for today. Unless you have any other thoughts, Fachi. No, I I would just say, hey, it was great to see Rick out there. Just another reason to be more excited about the upcoming season. Said all the right things. Um, You know, he he didn't – I don't think he overpromised by any means. He was a straight shooter. Yeah, and I really would like – this is just a personal preference. If we're going to continue to do these Zoom conference calls, can we please get these coaches better microphones? Yep. It was so fuzzy. Like, it was fine. It wasn't terrible. I thought Pritchard sounded much more loud and clear. Than Carlisle, it sounded like there was like some background hum, and I get it. It's Zoom. I'm not going to complain that much, but seeing a lot of these Zoom calls, I really like. I I was so disappointed last year with the Bjorkman interview to the introductory press conference because of how terrible the quality was. Like, I guess that should have been a, a a sign for what was to come. How bad that audio and video quality was. I mean, you couldn't even make out his face for one point. <laughs> it was so, bad. It was super bad. It's like, I mean, you're a billion-dollar organization, and you can't even get this guy a good camera and mic. Like, what's going on here? And then with Carlisle, the camera was fine. I know he was in a different state, so I'm not going to be too picky about it. But I just, like, these blue microphones that we use, a lot of people use for their podcast, they're like 100 and some bucks. They're not that expensive. <laughs> yeah. It's like these this coach just signed for $29 million. Can we please get him a nicer mic? Like, that's all I'm saying. Like, come on now. Let's just get him some quality equipment. Like, it's not that much. To, to upgrade that. But anyway, Fachi, I digress. Let's uh, let's tell the people where they can find us at on social media. You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And at the end of the day, if you're a fan of the Indiana Pacers, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! <laughs>